0: If it's 6 p.m. on a Thursday, that means it's time for Lehigh Valley Discourse, and we begin with Perspectives by John Pierce. Our engineer this evening is Neil Heaver. Thank you, Neil. He is our operations director here at WDIY. This evening, you are going to be very pleased to hear from three ladies of history. We're going to take you back to the 18th century, and then we're going to come up to the 20th century. And my guest this evening, the first one, is a name that you know very well, Martha Washington. Yes, indeed, she's right here with us on Perspectives. Martha Washington, let me begin by asking, you have a couple of other last names in there.
1: I do. Would you like me to introduce myself? Please. My name is Martha Dandridge Custis Washington, and I am come here tonight to talk to you a little bit about my life, my children, my grandchildren, the two great men to whom I was married, and the hopefully helpful part that I played in our nation's history. Now, I was born on June 2nd, 1731 to Fanny Jones and Jack Dandridge at our plantation called Chestnut Grove. Now, in my time, the word plantation defined an agricultural property devoted to the cultivation of a single crop for the export market. And in Virginia, we grew tobacco. Now, Chestnut Grove was typical. It was a middle-sized plantation with a two-story, uh, very comfortable frame house with pine-paneled rooms on each floor, fireplaces at each end of the house, and the kitchen in a separate building in case of fire. I was born on the first floor in my parents' bedroom, and I was their first child. As you can see, I am a brunette with hazel eyes, and I stand at just barely five feet tall, uh-huh. although he'll choose to help.
0: <laughs> We've lowered the microphone for you.
1: Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I was called Martha after several maternal ancestors, but I was called Patsy by my friends and family well into my 20s. You see, Patsy, Patty, and Pat were nicknames for Martha, just like Margaret was often shortened to Peg or Peggy and Mary to Paul or Polly. So until I was about 19 years old, I was Patsy Dandridge. And then when I was about 20 years old, I married my first husband, Daniel Park Custis. And we almost didn't marry. Do you want to know why?
0: that's a tease. Of course I do. Oh,
1: yes. Well, his father was the Colonel John Custis. And Daniel came from a very old colonial family, the top tier of colonial society, really. And the Colonel... John Custis, his father, did not want us to marry because, frankly, my family's fortune was not as large as my family, and my parents could not provide a very large dowry for me. I went and visited the old cadre myself, and <laughs>
0: the
1: old cadre. <laughs> he did decide that we could be married, so marry Daniel I did. He was twenty years older than I, but a kinder man you could not find in all of Virginia. We had a very happy marriage. For seven years, we had four children, and unfortunately, in um, uh, after only seven years of wedded bliss, he died. Oh of a fever. Uh And um, by that time, we'd lost two of our children. And so I was alone with five plantations to run because I'd inherited a lot of land and uh, when he died and houses in Jamestown and uh, Williamsburg. And I became thus the wealthiest widow in the colony of Virginia at that time.
0: Interesting. Yes. And that's at that point, then you met George.
1: Yes. Now, Daniel and I had discussed Mr. Washington as a rising military star, although we did not know him personally very well, although his half-brother Lawrence had served with my uncle. But yes, we met at uh, some mutual friends' homes the Chamberlain's, and I will admit, I fell in love with him from the first moment that I set eyes on him.
0: And he with you.
1: No, not exactly. No. Oh. No, he, I think he was more in love with the fact that I had the sort of money that would allow him to become a gentleman farmer, as he wished to do. Uh, but uh, we corresponded quite a bit that spring, and we decided that we were a good match. He was so tall, so handsome. Yes. Oh, yes. He had auburn hair, blue-gray eyes, a strong nose, fair skin. He stood over a foot taller than I. Did you know that? Oh, no. Yes, he was an excellent dancer, (laughs) excellent horseman. I was so happy when we were married on Twelfth Night, January 6, 1759.
0: You've just been listening to the voice of Martha Washington. Martha Washington, Lady Washington, thank you so much for coming in and telling a little bit about your Story. We don't have time for her to go into more detail because right now coming into the studio is Catherine the Great, and she is also 18th century, just like Martha Washington. Catherine the Great, welcome to Perspectives on
1: WDIY. Po 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 So as promised, we will now speak English. Thank you. Mm, good evening. I am so happy to be here. I am Catherine the Second, Catherine the Great, so called by my adopted people of Russia. I was overwhelmed by their love. And I did all I could to become as Russian as they, if not more so. The year of my glory, you know, was in 1762, the year that I became the Empress of Russia. But the year in which I choose to return to you is the year of my love, the year of my secret marriage. Oh. Yes, to Grigory Potemkin my Grisha is a true love and partner of my life and this was in 1774 at that time I was 45 years of age empress of Russia in my own right and mother of the future emperor my son Paul and it was a good year militarily as well since we had recently concluded a treaty with the Ottoman Empire you know this the Ottoman Empire
0: Yeah, I've heard of it.
1: Oh, wonderful. And this was giving me the Crimea and access to the Black Sea, something that Russia had needed for centuries. We had also put down the Pugachev Rebellion, which was the only serious threat to my throne during my reign. I was feeling truly blessed to be the monarch of such a great land, and I think that 1774 also marks the beginning of the best part, the most interesting part of my 34-year reign. Well, I suppose I should start at the beginning because it really is an interesting story of how I, a little German princess, became empress and autocrat of all the Russians. You will be surprised to learn I was born Sophia Frederica Auguste van Anhalt zerbst on April 22nd, uh 1729 and this was in Stettin, then part of Prussia, and I was the daughter of a minor German prince. Perhaps the most important thing you should know about my girlhood is that my birth was a terrible disappointment to my mother Johanna. Oh, yes, it was very disappointing to her. She wanted to bear a son who would marry well and raise her out of the insignificant life she felt that she lived as the wife of a penurious backwater prince. I suppose she never dreamt it would be I who would ensure her place in history. She was so unkind to me, not prepared at all to be a mother. She was only fifteen when oh. her father required her family required her to marry my father Christian, who was thirty-seven at the time. Oh. You see such an age big difference. difference, and the two could not have been more different. So it was a dissatisfying marriage for my mother. And when my brother was born, fifteen months after I, she lavished all the love on him that she had denied me. So I grew up. Feeling the need to always please and to have around me smiling faces. But otherwise, I enjoyed my childhood. I had an inquiring mind and a wonderful governess, a Babette Cardel, from whom I learned impeccable French. Alors, on peut parler français si vous voulez Ah oui, bien sûr. All the royal, noble, and aristocratic families spoke French as a matter of course. German was considered somewhat vulgar. I do speak German, of course, and I was allowed to play with the children of the town. And my life changed dramatically, though, when I was 13 years old. I was chosen by the Empress Elizabeth of Russia, encouraged by King Friedrich of Prussia, to marry the heir to the Russian throne, Grand Duke Peter Ulrich, nephew to the Empress Elizabeth and grandson of Peter the Great.
0: What a story. Catherine the Great. You have just heard her voice here on perspectives. We're so happy that you were able to come. Thank you so much, Catherine the Great. Specifa. We now are going to skip the 19th century. We're going into the 20th century because coming into the studio at this point is a lady called Vera Atkins. And let me let her tell you what her fame is in the Ladies of History.
1: Oh, you're Mm -hmm. so kind. And welcome to 1948. My name is Vera Atkins, and I am so pleased to be here tonight to talk to you about a subject dear to my heart, I have carried the burden of secrets for so long. It will be quite wonderful to share them with you. Oh, good. I do hope i piqued your curiosity.
0: <laughs> yes, ma'am, indeed.
1: I am here in my capacity as second in command to the head of F section, F for France, of Britain's SOE, the Special Operations Executive. Hmm. Yes, we were the competition, really, of MI6. You know of MI6?
0: I don't know MI6.
1: Oh, it is the intelligence services oh. of Britain. Yes.
0: Are we talking about
1: spies? Yes, Ooh. we are. And my mission tonight is to apprise you of some very important women, American women, who helped the cause and helped to defeat the Nazis and, of course, the Japanese during World War II. There were many women from around the globe who also fought. But I thought Americans might be particularly interested in their compatriots. It is so important that we remember their sacrifices and their contributions. As Dwight Eisenhower said, resistance actions played a considerable part in our complete and final victory. There are many who would love to know what I'm going to tell you tonight, not least of all about myself.
0: Oh, we can't wait.
1: Do you know that I was born in Romania, actually? No. Yes, in 1908. And I never talked about that because I didn't want my foreign origins to jeopardize my career. I entered the secretive world of sabotage and resistance at the very beginning when Winston Churchill surreptitiously gave his assent to the creation of the SOE and joining us to set Europe ablaze. Oh. Yes, we were all amateurs at this game, more or less, but determined that Germany would not continue her domination of Europe. So when Germany invaded France, the goal became sabotage, infiltration, and resistance. Wow. Yes.
0: And that piqued your curiosity.
1: Well, my job was to recruit Uh, agents who would be parachuted into France where they would meet up with French resistance fighters and also they would recruit French spies into our network. Wow. So it was incredibly interesting.
0: This is the voice of Vera Atkins, who was actually a spy during World War II. Vera, thank you so much for coming by.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, you've just heard, folks, from Martha Washington, Catherine the Great, and Vera Atkins, a World War II spy. Stay with us. It's time for us to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk to the lady behind these voices. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse Perspectives. Stay with us. Celtic Fair, a celebration of Celtic music and culture. From its roots in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Brittany, and Galicia, to its branches in Australia, Cape Breton, Canada, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and the Lehigh Valley. Music, interviews, and a weekly culture calendar every Thursday from 7 to 9 here on
1: WDIY.
0: Spread the word about your business or organization to a well-informed audience. Become an underwriter with WDIY. Our lineup of NPR news and locally produced programs reaches thousands of engaged listeners in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Underwriting on WDIY is an affordable and effective way to provide information about your product and services to people who care. To learn more about underwriting opportunities, 610-694-8100 or WDIY.org. And we're back here on Perspectives. I'm John Pierce, your host, our engineer, Neil Heaver, who is our Director of Operations here at WDIY. This evening we're talking about Ladies of History. In fact, there's an organization, and my guest on this half hour is the organizer and founder of the organization called the Ladies of History, Elisa Dupuy, And she writes that the Ladies of History is a labor of love that grew out of a desire to study history. Wear the fashions of different eras and bring history to life in a lively and fun way. History doesn't have to be boring, exclamation mark. <laughs> That's a good one. Owner Alisa Dupuis began the business in 2006. It was called Historical Tease. That's T-E-A-S. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no E on the end of that, right? No, just though drinking th- tea. You, you, you could have made a play <laughs> on words there. We could have. Just drinking tea, yeah, because her main clients at the time were tea rooms. Since then, though, she has branched out and her list of clients has grown to include historical societies, libraries, bed and breakfasts, book clubs, social clubs, Let's mention the DAR mm-hmm. in here. Absolutely. Church fundraisers and schools. So, Elisa Dupuis, uh, welcome, and thank you so much for those tantalizing voices that we heard in the first part of our program. And so it's a very much of a privilege to have you come to WDIY to talk to us about the Ladies of History.
1: Thank you, John, for having me.
0: Sure. I first saw Elisa do a presentation of... Mrs. Alexander Hamilton, mm-hmm. and it was Eliza Hamilton? Yes,
1: Eliza Schuyler was, Hamilton. Th-
0: that was on Zoom, uh, thanks to the Plainfield Library program that they have on Saturday mornings. So a little shout out there to Sarah Hull, who organizes it. And thanks to her, I got to see Elisa Dupuy in action on Zoom. And then I suggested that a local branch of the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution should invite Elisa to come and give her presentation of Mrs. Hamilton, which she did. So I got to see her in person now. And I would encourage any of you who can go to one of her presentations to do so, because she dresses up in these wonderful costumes. I'm looking at a brochure here with... Probably a dozen costumes. They're all different, different eras. So, Elisa, well, as, as much as you like to, to speak, you also like to dress up.
1: I do. I do. Do you have
0: a favorite costume of all these?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, probably Queen Victoria, as oh. you can see in the Ooh. brochure. It's a beautiful gown. It's a, a reproduction of an Ingress Portrait painting. Um, A woman was wearing that gown, and I asked my seamstress, Could you possibly reproduce this? And she did a great job.
0: Does she wear a hat also, Queen Victoria?
1: Uh, She wears a crown. And uh, some flowers, because mm. I portray her in eighteen sixty, before the death of Prince Albert. So before she was only wearing black, mm-hmm. um, right. I go I go back. So I try to portray women who are approximately in my age range, so about forty five to sixty. I try to portray women that I feel I can manage to resemble physically. I'm very short, so <laughs> many of my characters are about five feet or so.
0: You haven't done Julia Child yet.
1: No. Oh. I, I've, I've been asked periodically if I do Julia Child, and I said, no, mm. I don't really have <laughs> the height for that. So,
0: <laughs> But you certainly have the accent. You have the accent for all of these ladies of history.
1: I try. I try. Yes. 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 Oh, it's,
0: it's amazing to me the way you can turn on all of these accents. I hope that the listeners realize by now that the three ladies who uh, came on before were all produced by Elisa Dupuis, who is with me now uh, explaining to us about the ladies of history. I wanted to look at what are some of the favorite programs that you do, because really, Elisa, you're a one-woman show, and so if people invite you, and I'm so happy that the DAR did that, invited you to their program that day, because it's so interesting to look back at history and to see someone in front of the audience dressed up in the period costume and able to talk the way you do about the woman's life.
1: Yeah, it's um I think we all realize that many voices have been left out of the historical narrative for many years, including women, women of color, men of color, Native Americans. We haven't heard really their side of things. And so when I started doing this, it really wasn't about that at first. Uh, But it sort of became about that because I wanted people to hear the truth about famous women. Uh, I'll give you just a quick example. Marie Antoinette, everybody makes the joke that she said, let them eat cake, and that she was this horrible person and and all that. She wasn't, Mm -hmm. and she never said that. And there have been terrible rumors about Catherine the Great, and I like to debunk some of those rumors. I also like to portray the women from a very human standpoint, so you can hear and, and feel what she was going through and feel it from her perspective and giving a voice to these women and through these women giving voice to other women. So for example, when I do, I do a show about Great Gatsby and I portray a fictional character, but that allows me to talk about the exploits of many different women uh, of of various creeds and nationalities, races. And for example, Vera Atkins, I wanted to portray the American spy Virginia Hall, but I found out in doing my research that she was extremely tall, blonde, (laughs) 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 blue-eyed, and she had a wooden leg. So I, so I found someone in her surroundings, someone that she knew, who was her spy mistress, which was Vera Atkins, who I felt I could resemble. And it turned out to be a good thing because being Vera allowed me to talk about... Josephine Baker allowed me to talk about Julia Child, allowed me to talk about Marlena Dietrich, all of whom were involved in spying and doing work for the government during World War II.
0: Oh, my goodness. Julia Child? Uh
1: Uh-huh. Yes. Whoa. That's a
0: side of her we didn't know.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So it's, it's been fun learning about all these women and bringing them to life. For people, and the greatest compliment that I can ever receive is when someone gets lost in the show and really believes that I am that person.
0: Yes, and that's easy to do because that's happened to me too. Oh, so okay. bravo for that! Thank you very yes, much. Yes, indeed. Well, and and what you bring to it is the story that gives a lot of context to what we know about the men in these women's lives. Yes. When you do Martha Washington or Eliza Hamilton, for instance. We know about their husbands. We don't know about them, really. Right, right. Uh, you also do uh, Dolly Madison. hmm And so there's one who is better known, probably, in her own right than some of the others. You also have, uh, you do some female pirates. All are, right. Are you kidding me?
1: Yes, there were female pirates. <laughs> and Bonnie, Mary Reed.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I lots. Had, I had no idea.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's yeah. a fun show to do. I have a fictional character called Eliza Blackheart, and you know, ran away from home. Uh, <laughs> Great name for a pilot. married a sailor, <laughs> Bernard Dupre. I, you know, I sort of uh, use my own names yeah. in, in these ways. <laughs> And uh, that, that's fun to do. That, that's really <laughs> that fun to do. I dress like as a pirate. I come armed to the teeth. Okay. Do you and, have a patch over the eye? No patch over the eye. Mm. No parrot. That's sort of one of those <laughs> myths. No walking <laughs> of the plank. That's <laughs> also a myth. But I, I, do, I do try to try to bring that era to life yes. for people.
0: Terrific. <laughs> <laughs> and then you do one that's Marie Antoinette's Lady in Waiting. Yes. Why did you choose to do that instead of just Marie Antoinette herself?
1: Well, for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, when I chose to do that show, it was because I had a gown to do it. <laughs> right. And I did not want to portray Marie Antoinette at the time because she was very tall, blonde, just like I was mentioning about Virginia okay, Hall. Right. And I didn't, I also was not doing first person at the time. I was, crea- I had created my own alter ego, Eliza Blackwell Dupre, who was presenting different aspects of history. And it was mostly Victorian, it was mostly the history of different holidays and traditions, such as Valentine's Day or Thanksgiving, Christmas traditions, things like that. And so I was Eliza Blackwell Dupre, who was at the court of Marie Antoinette and served as a lady-in-waiting, so was able to talk about the intimate details of Marie Antoinette's life. In the third person. In the third person, yes.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: That was the yeah. uh, impetus for that.
0: Um, and then you have one, a program that you do, Madame Tussaud.
1: Yes, Madame yeah. Tussaud was actually, she came out of, I was doing a show, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, And circling back to Marie Antoinette, one of her best friends was the Princesse de Lombal, who was decapitated in 1792 during the Reign of Terror. And I was just struck in doing my research of the connections between America and England and France, this trinity of power and this trinity of uh, revolutionary ideas, uh, philosophers, Uh, fashion, famous women, uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, just all of these elements that that were so interconnected. And I developed a show around that with the Princesse de Lombard as the main character. So I did a little bit about her, about her bio, bio, being her, and how she came to be with the court of Marie Antoinette, uh, how she came to be decapitated, and then hooked that into the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which, of course, is about a Hessian soldier who loses his head uh, during one of the battles of the American Revolution. And in doing that, I discovered that Madame Tussaud had actually sort of fabricated her whole life story. And one of the things that she talked about was making the death masks of Marie Antoinette and the Princesse de Lamballe and people who were killed— during the Reign of Terror, and she claimed that she was forced to make the death masks. Uh-huh. So and I that, ended up doing a show about her.
0: Right? Did uh, Madame Tussaud begin this idea of her the, the museums of character, or is that someone yes, who that came, came after? Yes, that came. Well,
1: that came. No, no, no. She did do that. Uh, she worked for and was sort of like an adopted daughter, in a way, of a master of wax works. And he, a Frenchman, who would make, for example, a wax model of a hand, so that surgeons could study the hand, for example. Hmm. And he would make these different wax figurines, and he used her as an apprentice, and she became very skilled. And he had a, a studio and a museum, and when he passed away, she inherited everything from him, and that gave her her beginnings.
0: This is Elisa Dupuy, my guest this evening, who does these different characters. She has, obviously, the accents to do them. She dresses up, and I wish you all could see this beautiful brochure with all the different period costumes that she uses. Elisa, if people want to get in touch with you, Mm -hmm. what would be the information they need?
1: Well, the best way is to email me at alisadupuy at gmail.com. And that's A-L-I-S-A-D-U-P-U-Y at gmail.com. You can also call me at 215-778-9860. Or you can visit my website, which is www.theladiesofhistory.com. Dot com. Or you can just Google me, Elisa Dupuy, Ladies of History, and you'll find me.
0: Thank you so much for being my guest this evening on Perspectives.
1: Oh, thank you so much, John, for having me. Elisa really appreciate it. Elisa Dupuy,
0: she's the best. If you get a chance to see her in person, please do yourself a favor and do that. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in this evening. Thanks to Neil Heaver, our engineer this evening. I'm John Pierce. Until we meet again, Remember to be gentle with your neighbor.